Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, This is the Successful Life Podcast, your favorite home services podcast. Hi, I'm Corey Barrier, number one best-selling author of Nine Simple Steps to Sell More Shit. I'm here to help you open more doors, close more deals, and rock your revenue in your home services company. I coach home service businesses using my proven process that helps you, the owner, to sell more shit with less frustration. You can go to HVACplumbingSales.com for more information, or you can text me at 919-896-9999. Please scroll down to the rate and review section and click on the red icon with my picture on it and give us a couple of sentences and let me know what you think about the show. Today's episode is a banger with my man, Ryan Kettering. We discuss how important it is to let go of fear and start your business. You can find Ryan at getprolific.com. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learned. Apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, three, two, one. Let's go. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with my man, Ryan Kettering. What's up, brother? Hey, Corey. How you doing, man? Good to see you. So, Ryan, I'm super excited about this conversation because you and I have talked, off, obviously, off camera. We've talked prior to this, and I understand a little bit about what you do, uh, uh, probably a lot more than some, and that's why I wanted to bring you on because I think it's important that people know about your brand and they know about what you do and the services that you offer. I do believe that you're, you're making a name for yourself. You've been around for a minute, but people in our space are starting to hear from you now. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we we started in completely different verticals than kick charge and they do a phenomenal job. I don't, I, I think he really paved the way. I don't know without having seen him validate the market, if I would have really had a, as good of an understanding as I do of what's really possible in this space. I started in industries that are uh, verticals that are a little bit more of like lower barrier of entry. So as we've moved along to some of the more professional trades, we've been able to work with some really amazing companies, but that's really how that kind of progressed is that I intentionally stuck, stayed in my lane. And then now we're just starting to grow and people are starting to see us and be like, okay, this is a really cool option out here that we didn't know about. And we've been around for a little while, except we're going to be going on eight years in business 2023, but we're just starting to move into these professional trades and have done quite a a few jobs now in these spaces and done really well with it. But yeah, so then just connecting with you after we did some other podcasts in the space now. And so, yeah. It's pretty cool, man. So I was going to actually introduce you as the professional hobbyist. That's what I was going to introduce you as. And I totally forgot because I think it's really funny because you've made a super successful business out of a hobby that you had, 
correct? Yeah, I so I didn't go to college. I thought about going to art school. The money was just like it was crazy, and I just couldn't make sense of how to make money with art. So I I had a service business for about ten years, and so I graduated seventeen years old, junior year. I graduated, didn't go my fourth year of high school at all. I didn't need to. Started my business right there and banged my head against the wall for a long time, but figured out how to operate a small service business, home service business, and what was really happening there. But then as, like you said, I started to get in touch with these, this is before Facebook, the online forums, stuff like that in the industry I was in and just started helping some people with things and saw an opportunity. And so after doing it on the side for a little bit, which I didn't really, when I started, I wasn't even trying to really charge money for it. I was just like trying to help. And then it got, okay, I have to charge money to, so people stop asking me to do stuff. And then, then you start to realize, okay, maybe there's something really here. So yeah, I started out, that was, I started this full time in 20, was that 2015? I think that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then quickly from there, now we have a team of eight. Now my wife joined shortly after I started in 2015 and grew from there. Now we have a total of eight full-time employees. So I think it's interesting that you started, I, when I work with people, I offer them some sort of value, listen to their calls. I'd listen to their CSR calls and their service technician calls, and I give them the report. It's interesting because you did similar, the same thing. Like you provided value for people because you wanted to help them. I do the same exact thing. That doesn't mean they're going to work with me. And I'm cool with that. I know that what I'm doing is going to help them either whether or not if they work with me or not. And so you did that same scenario with this until obviously you got busy enough that you could turn it into a business. When was the, at what point did you say, or what happened that made you make that switch? Yeah, there was actually, I was thinking about it and I had a time, I had a goal in which I might change, make the switch, but there's a specific moment. I don't know. Do you know Dave Carroll from marketing? He's, he does, he didn't at the time, but he now does direct mail and postcards and things like that. He works with, he'll be at RoofCon, I believe, but anyway, Dave Carroll, dope marketing. Anyways, for his service business, we did a bunch of work. And at the time we did quite a lot of direct mail and he had like something like a $6,000 order with us. And I was like trying to juggle and he's what, why are you like, why are you not focusing? Like I'm trying, like I have this big, this decent sized order for you here and you're like everywhere. And I'm like, and at that moment I was like, you're right. I need to, this needs to stop. So it's, so it's like where I knew it was coming, but then there was this moment where basically somebody called me out on it and said, look, you got to focus. And I said, I just said basically, yeah. And that actually, I think that following weekend, I was basically, I didn't take on any further work in the other business, started to make some plans and basically burn bridges. I'm a big believer in burning bridges. I think people try to leave things, those tabs open. The only way for you to make a change for overall, for me anyway, is to take away the options completely. So that's what I tried to do very quickly. And I did. And so, yeah, and then I just, from there was just full time. Then I scrambled to figure out what am I going to do? And I teamed up. There's a guy local to me that I was able to work something out so that I could start to do get some sort of value out of my client list and equipment and things like this. But I've tried to figure out how to scramble and make make the best of my my decision, but but it all worked out. So that's really cool. Okay, and when you made the switch, you, you said you put the brakes on the current people that you were working with. So you were getting paid a little bit, I'm assuming, from well, let's just call it the first business until you made that switch. Is that yeah. correct? Okay, yeah. so you just yeah. put a halt on everything. How hard was that to do? mentally for you to say, I got to, I can't take, I can't take your work right now because 
my rule for me is I got to put the brakes on. Like I said, I burned the bridge. So it wasn't that difficult after the decision because basically very quickly I was forwarding my phone number. I was like, I was, I was very quickly offloading all of this really fast. So once I made a decision, it was easy making the decision. It was something that I was already thinking about for a long time. So it's almost like I neglected the decision for a long time and then made it very quickly. And how long would you say? How long do you think that you put it off? That was really what was I was going to ask you was, how long do you think you sat on yeah. the question of how long did you Probably, know? Yeah, I think I was doing it. I think I was doing the two things for about, I want to say maybe for sure over a year, maybe up to three. I'm an ENTP. I don't know if anybody listening to those Myers-Briggs. I have a horrible long-term memory. So I don't, I just, it's the basically ENTPs. We don't care about the past. They just don't care. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I, I can't quite remember to be just completely honest with you, but I would probably say it was something where I probably sat on, I would say at a minimum, probably three to six months and where it was just basically a fear of making a switch. And I see this a lot with other people. I try to encourage them because what happened was after I shut one thing down and switched from when, once I went from two to one, and just to be clear about what it really was at that point, basically the on the my home service business, I was basically an owner operator. I had a few helper type people part time. And then I had and then the other business, it was basically just me because I was just doing this as it was me. And then I had started fi- hiring some contractors. So it was all like basically me is mostly just me. And so it was really taking a lot of mental and physical like energy and time and stuff like this, late nights, early mornings, that sort of thing. So it, it was weighing on me for a while already. But after I made that switch, my income tripled as a whole, basically overnight. So like from, if you go like sales from here to say, basically my income tripled overnight from month to month based on shutting one thing down, stop stopping the dual, like my, my two open tabs toggling back and forth. Once I decided to focus that focus alone, I'm not talking about, Oh, I focused and then also spent a ton of money on marketing or did all these things. It wasn't that it was just simply focusing. Once I had my full attention on one thing, instead of two, my income tripled. And that's what I'm always looking for with our clients. Or if I hear somebody that's like, doing too too many things. I'm like, we'll have somebody that's calls. You probably heard this before. Like somebody's doing HVAC and plumbing. And now they're like, oh, we're going to start electrical. And I'm talking to Mario, what percentage do you break down these percentages? 70% of our business is plumbing, 30% is HVAC. And then we're going to start electrical. I'm like, okay, so what's the reasoning behind starting a new business? Because that's what you're doing. Why are you starting a new business instead of pumping that 30% up to whatever? And some people are going to have very thought out like good answers. Some people are gonna be like, I don't really know. <laughs> and right. we tend to want to do more. See, I should have, I had really had no business being in two businesses in the first place, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I'll never do that again because now I understand the benefit of like truly focusing on one thing. And I'll talk to a buddy of mine. He owns a supply shop that does pretty well, but for, he w- had a service business Kind of came and I he hung on to this one account that he had for so long. He's like, oh, I just go out there every once a once every month, a weekend, or once every week, whatever it was. And I'm like, dude, you gotta let that thing go. You're not. We forget that like, you know, an extra five grand or ten grand or twenty grand a year or whatever. It's it doesn't. It's the same thing. You didn't make any more money or less. It's the same exact thing. So just let that thing go so that you can like really focus on what you're doing. And we just don't understand how much little things take on it from our mind. You know what I mean? Dude, 100%. I just had this conversation with my wife, actually. And I explained to her, I'm like, here's an example of how like our brain works. If you have, if there's 10 things that I need to do every day, right? 
and you ask me to do two extra things that are not within my 10 things, you've taken 20% of my energy to do mm-hmm. your shit. And I'm like, if it's something important, that's one thing. But I, but if you ask me to get up and do something that you could get up and do yourself, it's a whole different ballgame. And I had to explain, like, it's like a bank account. You swipe your credit card or you swipe your bank card, the money d- drops out. When you have things nagging at your mental energy, it's the exact same thing. And I'm pretty sure you'll now certainly agree with this. You can't b- give 100% in two places. It's not mm-hmm. physically yep. possible. Yep, you can't chase two rabbits. And so the way to do that in the way that people either fail or scale is you either get, you master one thing and then duplicate it over yep. and over, which that leads me exactly into where I want to go next with you. How is it that you're able to say, I think the window is, I can't remember what you call it at six weeks and then it's at 12 weeks. My question yep. is, how are you able to give someone the idea that they're going to be done in 12 weeks and be pretty consistent with that because that's not normal, not normal in the industry, right? As we know it right now. Yeah. So with the experiences that I've had and I'd say the most important business lesson that I've learned so far in business ever is basically in its simple in one word is niching, right? So, and sometimes I'll fight it because <laughs> it's very counterintuitive to say I'm going to do less and get more. I'm going to f- mm-hmm. I'm going to. It, it does not make any sense logically. It, it does in many ways, but when you tell somebody stop doing five things and do one, and you'll get more out of that, it does not make sense to someone to, to the average person. And I think most of us. Even if we feel like we're above edge, we can fall into these average tendencies sometimes. So we have to, some, it can be an internal struggle, even for me to, or sometimes you don't even realize. And you're like, yeah. wow, look at how I've really just broadened quite a few things. Like my home service business, when that first took off for me, when I finally started figuring out, because remember I was 17 years old, out of high school, basically living at my own that time, trying to figure out life and business for the very first time. So it took me several years to finally get it going, to finally get it like working in a way that was really serving me the way that I wanted it to. But that one of those pivotal moments in that was when I stopped marketing to a 50 mile radius and started marketing to a five mile radius, because I looked at my thing and I'm like, 90% of my work is happening in five mile radius. Why am I spending then hundred percent of my budget in a 50 mile radius? It doesn't make any sense. But these are these little switches and these bulbs, they just, for some reason, they don't go off for so long, or maybe you're just not asking the right questions in your business or whatever. All of a sudden you start asking different questions and you start to see, wow, I wonder what would happen if I cut my budget in half and cut my service radius by 10 or more, what would that look like? And all of a sudden you're spending less, making more, you're not driving, you're not driving all around everywhere. And that's not going to work for everybody. It was a smaller deal, but we also were in a, a good, the place I was in, $100,000 plus average income household. We had something like over over 50,000 people in there that all met that. It was, it was a good area as well too. But. but Ryan, I want you to, let me just pause you for a second because really, I'm really glad you brought that up because this is the, I'll be honest with you. This is one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to connect with you because you really impressed me with your idea behind owning a neighborhood. I want you to really dive into that and explain what, so you just explained a little bit, but I want you to go in a little bit deeper and explain if I'm a two man crew, right? If I've got two trucks, two vans, whatever, 
how do I dominate my market? Because the yeah. only thing yeah. I know to do is run Facebook ads or run Google ads, but yeah. I don't really know. I'm not really working with anybody. I don't really know what to do. Can you break that down for people that yeah. maybe that simply? Yeah, that would be great. Just cool. Yeah. So let me, I'm going to stick a pin in that one and just tie it into how, what, how we use that today. I'm going to come back to the, the dominating your area. Cause it's basically we talked about this even before the podcast, before we record us, it's dominate or dabble. That's your only two options. There's no in between, right? It's either just like in life, there's either you're either growing or you're contracting. There is no staying the same. It's like there's, there is these like polar things where you have to decide which, you know, all in or not. But basically the idea of niching as I continue to try to apply it, because to me, it's one of the most counterintuitive and hard things to do. Once you get it, you start, oh, it's more natural, but it's still, it's like one of those things where like, the more you learn about money, the more you figure out you have no clue. Like you just don't understand. You know what I mean? So I know the, more, the value of money more than an, maybe an average person. I understand it more, but also like it only enough to understand that I know basically nothing. Right. But anyways, applying that niching to our services is like when we started to really double down on, in the branding space, instead of some other things we were doing before printing and layout and all these different things. When we started to do that, it was all about like, all right, doing the same thing as I did in my past was where's 80. I found out that 90% of our business was coming from 10% of our orders. So how clear is it to know what to do at that point? Clear, but I wasn't, we weren't asking the questions. We were just, just running around, putting out fires and we all have this stuff. And maybe it's not a 90, 10 for you, but maybe it's a 70, 30 or an 80, 20 or a 60, 40, whatever. But there's ways that there's things that we should double down on. I'm basically always looking, how do we gain more leverage? And the best place to gain leverage is if you think about actually pulling a lever, if you're, if it takes an enormous amount of energy to pull a lever and you have one that's halfway pulled and one that hasn't been pulled at all, which one do you want to push on? The one that you already have leverage on, right? So we tend to go pull another lever. That's for some reason, our first instinct, it makes absolutely no sense, but this is our instinct is, oh, if I could just pull as many levers, no, just get that other one going, get that one you're already working on going. So that's really what, when it ties into, so to answer your first question, that's how we can continue to keep our timelines tight is this idea that, you know, we understand what is the absolute most important thing to our customers, which is the quality, the specific type of the things that we're, the strategy that we're offering, the quality of the graphics, all these sorts of things. It needs to be in a reasonable amount of time. And for our customers, that's usually more important than the money. Obviously the money needs to make sense. And we might talk about the investment and that's later as far as, but anyways. So I want to be clear. So you're talking about for the listeners, so they understand why it works the way it does for you and your brand and your business is because you have a repeatable process that let's don't call it like, it's not like a, a, a copy and paste process, but the, I'm sorry, the process is copy and paste. The branding obviously is not copy and paste, yeah. but that's what makes you efficient. I would assume. It's about like understanding what he was talking about. It's like finding your like business drivers and there's things that are internally, there's things when it re your team. And then there's things in regard to your customers that like, you only have to get certain things right. So me, in order to keep our timelines right, it's, we can't, if timelines are suffering, there's a couple of things we can do. Customers won't like it, but one of the things is you can raise your prices, right? Wow. Another thing that you can do is stop doing as much. And that's where we're keeping a close eye on that. Is there stuff that we can stop doing that truly people would love to hire us for it. But if we stop doing that, they really wouldn't care that much. There's a lot that we do that isn't actually that valuable to people. We're just doing it because people are paying it. 
for it. Um, sure. But they wouldn't be, they'd be okay if we weren't, right? Because it's not our core thing. It's not where 80 to 90% of our revenue is tied to. So there's those internal, there's those, those customer levels. Well, if I can get the timeline right, if I can get the quality, if I can, these are the drivers. But then on the, on the employee side, what are the levers for your employees, right? What do you need in your team? So I understand exactly what we, what do we truly provide as value? What are the levers that if I can pull those, if I can show our potential hires that we can accomplish, then that'll work for them. And I know where to find those people at. So basically we've have a, just like we have a customer profile, we have an employee profile. And I think everybody should have that. I think that it can be feel a little bit more difficult when you're dealing with B to C residential consumers, but, but it still certainly can be there. And if you look at any, you look at great brands, a brand is simply communication. And in order to communicate, you have to have another party. And if you have a general anybody party, it's harder to speak to them because you're speaking out into the world of it's just it could go anywhere. But if you know who you're talking to, think about Target. Who does we? If you think about who is Target's ideal customer, you can probably we all probably land on the same answer. And then if you look on their social media, it certainly looks like they're talking to that person as well. Like you can very very much feels like they're resonating. If I can't, I'm not a, a middle class woman, but I you imagine that if you were that you this would really resonate with you as a middle class woman, primarily moms and so forth. That this would really resonate with them and their revenue and track record shows that it, I guess it does. We basically have a profile for both sides. And I think that's important to make a repeatable process. They're basically just bringing in, all right, here, if we need more people, here's the places we can go. Here's how we can approach them. Here's what we're offering. And yeah. So you brought up Target, right? And Target knows who they're talking to, right? Because, mm-hmm. so let's just middle-aged, middle-aged mom. We kind of established that. Yeah. So, so when we're talking about home services, the same people are buying home services, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say that profile, it's a slightly different lens to look through, but those same target people are also making that phone call when the AC breaks or the plumbing mm-hmm. gets jammed up or whatever. So I would imagine that if you're curious about a customer base, that's where I would look because yeah. those are the people that are calling you. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you, how does it, and I don't know if you have any experience with this, but you probably do. Have you ever branded a company towards the female purchasing the service? In other mm-hmm. words, make it more appealing to female. Because one more thing, because at the end of the day, my wife and your wife does not yeah. want to see a truck with flames in our driveway in our nice neighborhood, right? Yeah. I don't want to see that. Yeah. You don't want to see that. So how do you overcome that? This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, Click the link in the show notes. Yeah, so I think that here's the problem is that people make big assumptions when they think of, okay, how, what does a, if you think about Target's logo itself, or even like you roll up to the store or even walk in the store, it doesn't feel like there's anything feminine about it, right? Fair. So people make assumptions like, on how things work instead of actually thinking through, for instance, some of the times we'll have some logos that actually look a bit masculine in the kind of the execution of them or whatever. One, for instance, that that did really well for a company that we worked with is called Spartan Plumbing. And 
that did phenomenal with the results they got and how, what it did for their team and position in the company and so forth. It's not a feminine company, but you have to realize there, the idea of what is a woman attracted to is pretty complex because remember that women are attracted to men, which are not feminine, but also women also resonate with things that are built for them. So it's, there's this, it's very complex. The idea is basically that we want to, the thing we are trying to accomplish is how do I be myself and resonate with the others? So some companies are like a woman owned company. It might make sense if depending on their personality and so forth, they might take a more feminine feel based on who they are. And then here's how we're going to talk to who we're talking to. Right. But some, here's the tendency of people. They want to go one way or the next. Either I want to be, I don't care about the market. I just want to do my thing, have the flames on the side of the truck and all this, right? Skulls and whatever. Or I go the whole other way. You don't know how many people I hear, Ryan, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if I like it. I don't care. I just want it to make me money. Here's the thing is that you don't go, if you're trying to meet, if when I found my wife, I, I didn't go up and I didn't go up to her and say, listen, whatever you want me to do, I'll do as long as you pick me. And so when we do that, we forfeit real authentic representation and relationships. And I took it to a human to human single relationship like that, because that's essentially what we have in the market, but at a more of a macro scale, right? We need to be able to communicate in the market in a way that is authentic to us. If it's not, it's a gimmick. And if, and so many people, they do things that try to differentiate themselves that aren't authentic to them. And that is essentially the shortest definition of a gimmick is doing things for the sake of money that don't, or they're not truly who you are. And you can do crazy stuff. If it's who you are, then it's not a gimmick. It's off. And then when Elon shot up a, a car in a orbit space like this, he makes flamethrowers and stuff. That's who he is. That's what he's all about. So we don't, we love that stuff. We share it. It's awesome. But if someone else did that, that like if, for instance, Target started shooting cars in the outer space and making flamethrowers, it would not seem right. And there's a lot of people who you've seen, you see them do something that doesn't make sense and it flops because it doesn't resonate with their market because they know it's not who they are and it doesn't speak to them. So that's what we're trying to do is like, you don't have to have a feminine brand to identify with women. But that said, if that is the market and if you tend to be more masculine or more feminine or whatever, we're going to look at that balance and try to find the right way that we can create the right type of connection. And the cool thing is that with branding, there's, it's a lot more than just your logo, right? And that's really, that's your part of your visual branding, but your fundamental brand is the most important thing. Then you have your visual branding, which the key three things for a visual brand for home service business are going to be your logo, your vehicle wraps, and your website. After that, every, there's a bunch of other stuff, but those are the most important three things that everything else has been then based off of. But, um, uh, I forgot where I was going there with all that. Uh, I'll, I'll well, get back to you. I forgot where I was going so with I think what you were saying, there needs to be congruency with the brand. And I think part of what I, I believe that I'm hearing, just so I want everybody to really pay attention to this. Let's just pretend that I want to start a plumbing company and I want to put pink vans on the road, but I mm -hmm. am a super ma masculine guy and I have a beard and I whatever. The congruency with that would not be there. Therefore, it's not, and it's not even just the congruency in the perception of the congruency, it's all or incongruency, I should say. It's also the incongruency that's going to happen up here. I'm pointing mm -hmm. to my head for those that are listening that <laughs> you got to think about this. If you're in your brain, if you don't resonate with your own brand, if you're not proud of that brand, that's not something that you would tattoo on your arm yourself. I wouldn't tattoo your brand on my arm, but I would tattoo my own brand because I'm proud of it. 
that's a different story, but that's the, I think that's what you're talking about. You want to have a brand that feels like something you can be proud of. Exactly. Because it's a representation of who you are. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you? And some people are like, yeah, but Ryan, it's not who I am. It's who my company is. Look at Apple. Apple was Steve Jobs. And then after he's gone, all of a sudden things that he said will never happen. He always said, we'll never have an iPad mini. Never. It's not going to happen. And just like the way that your Apple pencil doesn't work on an iPhone, all these different things that he said, look, this is not how these things are intended to be. We're not going to do them. And then all of a sudden, after he's gone, all these rules start getting broken. Why? Because the brand isn't there. All the Who they are is changing. And it has changed already, but it's changing now over time as well in a way that is not as close to him. So what I, the point is that when you look at great brands, they are, every great brand is driven by leadership that is spearheading that brand, like that whole brand personality. And is very close to whoever's in the leadership. And that may not, maybe not just one person, right? So if we have a couple or a close team of people that are leadership, we're talking to all those people to find like, all right, here's how all of this connects into who you guys, like the leadership kind of direction you guys are pushing out as a whole. But the people you're hiring, this is what's cool is like, we have really cool stuff that we want to do in the world. We want to imprint on the world. Maybe that might not for some people be why they got in business. But as you go on the next $10, $100, 1000 or 10000 it ain't going to change your life. And, and when you get to that point where, yes, we all still need money. And yes, we're trying to hit goals and create opportunity for our team and so forth. But all of a sudden, the money is now a metric. It's not a. It's not something that I'm relying on. If I was it's not starving the, not the right. metric. It's right. The money is the result of the work that you do, right? The money is not the goal. The money helps you get to the goal. All right? of a sudden, you're, you're just in a different, like the hierarchy of needs. You just, it's not, you're not starving anymore. You're not, if someone, if your room gets sucked out of oxygen, you don't care about anything else but that, right? So when you're in startup mode, depending, if you're in startup mode, there's a, there is a likelihood that you might hear this and be like, this is a all load of crap. I just need money because you're starving. But then once you get it, once you have a surplus of it, you understand, you have a system that creates more of it. It doesn't, it's not, it's a metric that you're following and tracking, right? Just like people that have the eye watch and they can track their blood and stuff like that. It doesn't mean you're tracking. It doesn't mean you think you're going to die every second. You're just tracking it to make sure that you can see your blood oxygen or whatever. It doesn't mean you're expecting to lose oxygen, but anyways, then all of a sudden you start to shift. And now say, all right, what am I really doing this for? If, cause I was doing it to get money when I started. But now I have that. So now what am I doing it for? And this is where having a greater underlying purpose can really bring a lot more fulfillment to us. And I believe that as leaders, we're called, some people may, I don't want to, there's a lot more followers in the world than leaders. And that's not a bad thing. People think that it's bad to be a follower, that it's bad to be, no, it's not. Because what would you do if nobody was, you want everybody <laughs> right. to be business owners? You want everybody to be, uh, it doesn't make any sense, right? So there's more people in the world that for whatever reason, their brains are desired in a way where they are, they're not not coming into the world saying, I'm going to lead people on my mission. They're coming to the world saying, give me something that I can hang on to. Give me something that I can work on with other people that I'm passionate about. And I think it's our responsibility as business owners, essentially, that as we start to figure that out for ourselves, to then provide that to people so that those people can come into our organization and say, wow, this is awesome. I'm Basically, they take your vision on as their own. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. I think people think that we get too caught up in ourselves. There's every, there's everyone has value in the world and in its own way, it's equal. Meaning the queen bee 
is no more valuable than the others, even though they treat them like it is. Because if all the rest were gone, then everyone's gone. Right? So everyone has their value. And we can maybe sometimes some people might put themselves above another thinking, oh, that's not the case. It's a unit and we have different roles within that unit. And some of those roles are maybe more glamorous than others. But it's perception, right? So here's an example. We have to have people. I don't have to have people because I don't eat McDonald's. But if I did eat McDonald's, we would have to have people to cook McDonald's French fries. We have in the United States, there has to be French fry cooks or McDonald's doesn't exist. I'm not a French fry cook and you're not a French fry cook. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with a French fry cook. It's just not exactly. my cup of tea. It's not your cup of tea. And it's and, a great point that like, even though it is a lower paying yeah. thing, a lower value thing, if that lowest job doesn't exist, the whole business doesn't exist. You 100%. Know? So that's such a great point. I harp on this all the time. People don't focus on their CSRs. And I won't get into all that, but that those people are answering your new customer's phone calls, by the way. And you don't, you pay them the least amount in, of anybody in your company, that make, makes all the sense in the world to me. You're putting your business in the hands of the people you pay the least. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's another story. So, uh, you asked you, me about I'm, I'm, uh, you asked me about owning your neighborhood, and we never picked that back up. You yes. want to touch on that real quick? Okay. I would love that because I love the strategy. I got my notes here. So, so I want to tell you something that I thought was really cool. Like one of the coolest examples I saw of this, I don't recall the company name at the moment. It's been s- several years now, but when I was, I lived in, I'm in Arizona now, but I lived in Illinois. We had, I think we had Comcast or something. Anyways, we kept having these internet issues. And finally, I just, I was getting all of these direct mail pieces from this new company. That was a totally new company in the market. And so I decided to give them, give them a try, but but it wasn't the first time I saw them. So a lot of times when people are doing the vehicle wraps and like make the phone number big so they can call them. Nobody's calling you the first time they see your wrap. Okay. They're going to see that thing like a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 times. They just don't need you. They, you know what I'm saying? They don't need you at that point. But anyways, so I, I was getting, so this new company came into the market. I wish I could remember the name at the moment, but I can't. So we're having problems with, we tried AT&T had problems. We switched to Comcast. We were starting to have these problems and we had the fiber and all of that, but it just, and all of a sudden I started getting monthly postcards from this company. And then I started, and then, and then I see one day they have more than the multiple cars, these little eco-friendly, small cars out in the neighborhood, lettered cars. They have two man crews out knocking on doors. They start radio ads, billboard all, this is all within a four week period. This all just like drops. And, and so it started to drip, but then it like just massive drop. And so we end up switching because basically why they were in front of me. They apparently were legit because they have the, they had the budget to start this, but keep in mind, I'm in, I didn't go outside of my city. I don't know what their marketing was like outside of my city. Right. So we right. assume that this, Oh, they, apparently these guys are pretty legit. Cause I saw their cars. I saw their people. I got their direct mail. I saw them. They're everywhere, but there there's, they could, you go five miles away. They might not be there at all right? Who knows? But we can make people feel like we're everywhere. And people think I can't compete with some big name or I'll never be a Tesla or a Target or something like this. Yeah. Maybe not on a nationwide or worldwide scale, not to say that you can't, by the way, but maybe that is not where you're going, but you certainly can do it at a level. What level is that? Is that, are you going to, so they might own five, four or 5 billion, they might have awareness with four or 5 billion people with certain companies like that, right? You might have awareness with a million, or maybe you should be having awareness with 500,000 or 50,000 or 5,000, or maybe it's just five for what you do. But so the point is you can own the attention of some number of people. And 
if that number of people is also has a common commonality, that's called niching, right? So we're basically saying, all right, who are my people and how do I get in front of them? And when you ask those, basically those two questions, you have niche direct marketing and that's what this company did, right? So they say, all right, here's the geographical area and we're just going to hammer it with everything that makes sense to do. And we're going to see how it goes. Here's a cool thing is most people, I think in this space, a lot of people are a bit more sophisticated in the professional trades, but maybe for people starting out, this might be good to hear. Marketing is people talk about, oh, marketing, I've done this marketing, it doesn't work or whatever. All marketing works. Okay. Because marketing is intended to get you in front of a set of people. You choose who the people are. You choose if it's a lot or a little or targeted, not targeted, you choose what your message, you, you choose all, everything, right? But it definitely works. It just works to a degree. And then, but also I want to point out that no matter what the result is a good result. Why? Because I have data. So I could do a campaign and get zero leads. That is a positive result. Why? Because now I know I shouldn't do that again, or maybe I should change this. The point is that people need to approach marketing like it's science and not, not gambling, right? If I get zero jobs from this thing, that is, you should be happy about that result. Why? Because you just spent, we'll call it grand to find out how you shouldn't spend 50 grand this year. Well, let me stop you real quick because you're, ab I agree with everything you said, but I do want to point out, you don't have to spend five grand to AB test stuff. You right. spend a hundred bucks to test an ad to see if it gets any clicks or if it gets right. any traffic or if it gets any, whatever you're trying to get it to do on a small scale, if you get 14 clicks out of a hundred opposed to zero clicks out of a hundred, there's your answer. And you yep. don't have to spend a fortune. Yeah. So yep. when people go out and do these campaigns without knowing what you're talking about, that's where they mess up because they, it, look, it, I say it's not rocket science, but it is. Marketing is very much so scientific. If you don't know what's going on, you're going to be left behind quickly. There's, I think there's basically you can get super into like the marketing stuff, which I'm, I like a lot and I love sales and all these things, but I'm really geeky into like kind of the like influence type stuff. But what you could do is if you got, if you get your base communication, right which is essentially your brand, right? So if I understand who I am, so basically we create what we call a fractal brand with people, which is, it's basically, here's what your fundamental brand is, which is based on three things. Your core belief, which your core belief, and so instead of a set of values, we create with a company one singular value or belief. Why? Because a set of values gives us too much room to just pick stuff that sounds good. Give us an example of somebody you've done this with, just a, a real-time example of, here's an example. Yeah, let's see, I have one from... Yesterday I did. What did they do? They originally were thinking that their core value was around, I think they say the same thing as everybody else, like integrity and honesty and stuff like that. And what we found out their core value was resilience. And it's a type of resilience in, in the sense of a, a plant when the sun is, if it's not getting enough sun, it grows to the sun, right? And you see this, these things in nature where like we as part of nature, like anything in nature, humans, animals, plants, like we can overcome enormous odds and be resilient. And that's this type of resilience that we're talking about. And essentially being able to move things to a better place in the world. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to essentially be an example of like how to be resilient as people and for their employees and for their community. So being able to lift people up. And I think, I'll, yeah, I don't think I'll be... 
stepping on anybody's toes to step. But one example is what he does. So this guy works in a, a lot of schools, right? For with the service that he does. And he leaves something on each of the teacher's desks in the schools, which is really cool, right? So we talked about how he can maybe some tweaks he can make that to make sure that doesn't stop and keeps going. But think about if you were to go into a market and all of a sudden every company you work for, let's just say you end up working for even colleges, with like lots of desks and all of this stuff. And every single person that you, you're like touching, like every job you do, you're touching like, let's say a hundred lives, this little thing that basically that idea of let's see if we can lift them up. Let's be an example of helping them. Like, how can we help them in their negative? We, we know how people are today, right? They're depressed, negative, they're stressed out. How can we help them grow towards the light a little bit more? How can we shift them a, a little bit? And you do that every single time. Think about, I always tell people, it's not about that thing. People don't hire you because you did that. People hire you because they want to hire a type of company that does that, right? So they want, when they see something cool like that in the market that you're doing, they're not hiring you because of the thing. They're hiring you because they want to do business with the type of company that does that type of thing, right? Because they want to see what else do you do? What is this like to experience it, to work with a company like you? So that's an example. But basically, we then once they know their core belief and then their values underneath that and then their personality, which is the second thing. So you have your core belief, your personality, and your key aptitudes. So once you identify and clarify all those three things, which most people don't clearly know what they are, we help them clarify that. They know generally what they are, but with clarity now, clarity breeds action, right? The only thing stopping us from action is either one of two things, unclarity or fear, because you're either clear and you're scared or you're unclear and you and that just, I can't move forward if, unless I'm this, you're big into sales, right? So yes. if I don't understand clearly what, how to move forward, I cannot move forward. And that's how it works in our inner minds as well, not just for outward communication. So once we know that stuff clearly, it allows us as individuals, as business owners, as leaders, and our teams to move forward with those things and create things we've never dreamt of because now we just have a set of criteria to systematically apply it. So that's what we help to, to provide to our customers is that fundamental brand. Once you have that, now you create a visual brand to represent that. Make sure your name, all your key brand assets, your logo, your wrap, your website, your business name, your, your key messaging, terminology, all these things now match up with that fundamental brand. Now, here's the cool thing is that let's just say that you're not as a, a sales and marketing geeks like maybe you and I are. All you got to do is get some get that light on that thing now, right? That's all you have to do is now bring awareness with frequency to that, to a specific set of people. And if you don't know who your people are, just start with geographically because that'll save on gas. And you'll start to see some commonalities. They're probably already there. You can start to see some commonalities between the people. So you start a geo target. And if you absolutely have no demographic understanding of who your customers are, and look at, and then start to look through the data, which this is probably already happening, right? You can probably look in your data and say, oh, wow, every time we work for a customer like this, not very good. Every time we work for customers like this, it's pretty good. So you can already, you probably already have the data in most companies, right? But following that data is harder than having it, right? Being able to say, we should not take on this work, not all money. You know how many times I've told people, not all money is good money. And they just say, that doesn't make any sense. All money is good yeah. doesn't make any sense. That if it did make sense to them, you probably wouldn't have had to say that to them. <laughs> Truthfully. Because I get what you're saying. Totally. Because look, if you take on, and recently I have gone through this. Like I was talking to a gentleman that I was thinking about working with. And the fact of the matter is, I'm not working with him. Yeah. Because he's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. I'm just being taught. And it's just not, I don't even care what the number is. Yeah. Double my normal number. And I still don't want you because you're going to be, you're going to be a nightmare. One, mm -hmm. you're going to take up three times as much as my time. And 
it doesn't matter what I do. Whatever's going on in your company is going to be my fault at the end of this time. No, thank you. And that's probably the first type of customers you want to get rid of, but it's not, those are the easiest ones because you actually don't want to work with them. But the hardest ones is the ones you do want to work with. Let's say you, your company operates in a 20 mile radius and you have somebody that wants you to drive an hour and a half for a $5,000 job. Do you do it? Well, right. it dep that depends. It depends on what your criteria is. But if you don't draw the line, then you know the, you won't know. What about an adjacent vertical? I have I have some Chris over at Rhino. I'm like, hey, I got this guy that does window films on buildings. Like, not we're not talking about tinting cars, but like window films. I'm like, he needs help online. Can you help him? He's no this or this. That's it. Yeah. I'm like, all right, perfect. You got. But there's a level of respect that comes with that. But also, you have to, it takes balls because you know that somebody's going to be could potentially be a little ticked off that you won't work with them. But so you have to be, once you understand who your market is, you have to protect that. Because if you don't, what happens is you will have a snowball effect of bad, of not bad customers, but bad fit, worse fit customers, not ideal customers, right? Because when I start taking jobs from 35 miles out, guess what? All of a sudden they recommend their neighbor. And when I start taking jobs in this industry, right? They start recommending people in those industries and so forth. And it's just, it's just a spiral. and we just don't realize that sometimes we'll sign our people up for things that, that they're not that great at because it's just not the norm for them. Yes. And right. I'll give you a kind of a, a different example. It's like the halo effect. And my wife explained this to me. She said, look, she said, my wife is a photographer, wedding photographer. So she has all kinds of brides. She doesn't discriminate against anybody, but she said, Hey, I'll, here's an example. Take a look at this picture and then take a look at this picture. How many comments and how many likes did this one get and how many did this one get? She said, that's the halo effect. That means mm -hmm. she, no matter what, the prettier person's always going to win. Yeah. It's going to win in that scenario. And so similarly, that it, like you said, if you go 35 miles out, then you're going to get more people in that 35 mile out radius. And what that's going to do is effectively over time, reduce your amount of time to produce money every single day and you're not even going to realize it yeah you want to know but i want to point out that you're going to get just enough that it makes it hard it makes the decision that much harder to say no because it's still going to be so you go over here and you're doing 10 jobs but then locally you're doing 300 yeah. jobs and your guys are all of a sudden it's just enough to be hard to make the decision but it's to, and blind you from the fact that if you were to cut those off and replace them from, with ones over here, that those 10 people and would refund 10 more here, refer more 10 more here and so forth, because you don't have the leverage out there. Over right. here in your niche market, you have tons of leverage. So you have direct mail hitting, you have community events going on, you have your vehicles, you get 50,000 impressions per vehicle per day, right? So you have five vehicles in this area. Over here, you're, you go out and you just build it just a tiny bit enough to where it's hard to make the decision, the right decision, and that's it. That's the only thing that's happening is you get just enough that it's hard to make the right decision. And yeah, it's difficult. And, but yeah, if you can basically get the brand right, get your market right, and then you start just basically getting it seen in that space, the rest pretty much will work itself out. You don't have to be the best marketer in the world. You don't have to be, if you can create a brand and an offering that's unique, that identifies with your market, that is authentic to who you are. And then you just get light on that thing. And you say, hey, look, perfect customers, we're here. That's all you got to do. Because if that, if you truly have something that's special and unique and different, they're going to be like, wow, I would rather work with a company like that, right? Oh, look at their social media. They do this. Or look at 
that or they did this event, they did this thing. I I would rather work if I need this thing. I think I'm going to call these guys. And what that's called is brand preference. So when you have brand preference, people will take a little pain to work with you. They'll spend a little bit more money. They'll wait a little longer. They'll be a little nicer. They'll refer you to more people. When you come in and ask for five referrals, they'll give them to you. When you ask for to sign up with your your home your membership, they're more likely to do it. Right. So all of they're essentially just an all around better customer because they prefer you. And sometimes when you get the best type of customers, what we forget, what we don't realize is that customer prefers us. And if we would just seek to create more brand preference for our company, we would get more people like that. And instead, we think that there's some sort of outlying unicorn that they don't exist out there. They certainly exist. And not only that, you can take on a scale from one to 10, you have these seven or eight level com- customers. You can bring those up to the nine and 10 by creating and doing things that help to make them prefer you more, that, that strengthen the bond and the affinity that they have for your, for your company. So yeah, if you just basically create the brand, get it in front of people with frequency, and then listen to the market, you're going to have cool ideas that flop. You're going to have ideas that knock it out of the park and you're going to have you're also going to be right. Sometimes you're going to have a great idea that is great. And you're going to think we shouldn't have done that. And yeah, you shouldn't have it. So you listen to the market, be nimble with that. And then you can then hone that in to be what it needs to be. And then just, and just wash and repeat, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. That makes the best businesses scale, right? If you have something, you can do the same thing over and over. It makes it way easier to scale and you're not scaling mediocrity. Yeah. This is really important. So I I have one more last question for you before we wrap up. So how important, in your opinion, is it? So let's go back to that same sort of scenario. A guy starting out, maybe he's been in business for a year. His brand's not great. He's been running traffic to the brand. How much money do you think that guy could be wasting if his brand sucks and he's running traffic to it? Opposed to, let's just pretend for a moment for a number of purposes, spending 10 grand a month on marketing. But he spent really nothing other than the thousand bucks he paid his brother-in-law to put the logo on. Yeah. The problem is, depending on the exact circumstances, like like we said, not all money is good money, right? So you could actually be damaging your, you could be paying to inflict damage on your business versus that you're not even getting anything. You think you're getting something for, oh yeah, I'm making a little bit of money. But we've seen this with, you remember, I don't know if you ever heard of these stories, but like where somebody ran this back in the day when Groupon was a little bit more popular for us people to look at there would be like a story of a cupcake shop or something that like ran a group on and blew up their business like in like a weekend like their whole business is done like it was just whoop done because they got like 50,000 customers and you have this two person shop because not all money's good money they had a they ran a deal that didn't make any sense and they got customers that didn't make any sense for them to have and so they basically brought in bad fit they paid to bring in bad customers So they blew up their business. And also there's, there's, it wasn't just one thing, right? But the point is you can actually be paying to damage yourself. We do that all the time, right? We eat sugar and take all sorts of drugs, whether it be over the counter or alcohol. Like we pay to hurt ourselves all the time. And we can do that in our business with our marketing as well. You can also pay to, to help yourself. You can be giving your business instead of bad sugars and drugs and caffeine and alcohol, you could be giving it nutrients and life and all these sorts of things. Um, how do we know the difference? One is by testing, being real with ourselves, being aware, listening, asking questions. Why did you hire us? What do you like about us? Getting in some of the coaching programs and industry groups that help us understand key metrics and stuff like that. But I think a savvy 
person, people who understand marketing and so forth could look at a campaign, no matter the level and understand if there's something there special or not. But yeah, I think that if you're spending some money and you're doing it with poor branding, there's a high likelihood that you're wasting a lot of money. How much? I don't know. It could be even that you're doing damage to yourself, depending on where you're at. You but, could be running traffic for people to go to your crappy brand, see the crappy brand and then go, I'm not go, yeah, and go somewhere else. Yeah. I tell people all the time, the biggest thing for a long time is I think it's starting to shift with work like what we do and others in, that are, you know, there's some really great brands and real, really great communication in this, these home service spaces now, but go back 20 years ago. What is everybody's oh, like, how, give my phone number bigger, get, tell put my name really, really small, make the service big. Just put like heating and air, like huge across there, put carpet cleaning, huge. That's it. And then the phone number. And it's like, if, if you're advertising what you do first, if I don't know who you are, who am I calling? I'm calling whoever I would prefer to call. So advertising the vertical in the, in or the category in front of who you are is the advertising for everyone else. So if you have to get these things right, but that said, some people, they just, their brand doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. So that's why they minimize it so much, right? So if you can create a brand that helps people to understand who you are and what you do, and then you follow again with, here's what, you know, here's your problem. Here's how we can help you, et cetera. And you have that, now you just scale that, but people are scaling, watering weeds instead of watering what they want. And so that's the main thing is it's just such a, if you, marketing is, essentially just simply scaling a message. And if you don't understand what your message is, which is basically tied into your brand, or you're simply taking the most face value thing, which is you're saying the problem or solution you offer, right? But if you don't understand what message you're scaling, you're paying to scale something that doesn't work, right? Scaling I paid for, are. before we understood how to hire, we would pay to get hundreds of resumes from bad fit people, right? Same thing as customers. Sometimes some of us are paying to get hundreds of leads for bad fit customers. And we try to make it work yeah. and it just doesn't work. And, but then magically we go to 10 people. So you get a couple hundred resumes from somebody that's not a good fit. You go to 10 people that you know are a good fit. And all of a sudden how, somehow you're doing three, four interviews out of your 10, but you couldn't find one person worth interviewing out of hundreds from this other place. So it's the yeah. same with both. We need to, we need to, we need to get our message right and then get that message in front of the right people. And if most people have both those things wrong, if you get one right, you're pr probably over halfway there because the, you're going to get the other thing pretty quickly. But that's really the biggest difference between a successful brand and an unsuccessful brand is the ability to create clear messaging that's authentic and resonates with a market and then just simply get, serve it up to that market. That's it. Yeah. Makes complete sense. And everything's got to be the same message across the board, brand, marketing, sales, CSRs, technicians, everybody's got to be on board because if it's not, there's incongruence in the market or incongruence in the brand. And that leads to not a good result. Yeah. And, the, and it's actually quite simple to do to keep that continuity and that congruency through everything. It's simply just start from one place. So that's where we, when we get those, that the brand fundamental, the fractal brand, a fractal is self-similar. It starts from one place and multiplies self-similar. And you start from one place, you'll all, you inherently create cohesion because you're always coming back to the fun of your foundation and say, does this match? Okay, good. And so that's how you, that's the easiest way. So instead of basing it off of the last thing we did, base it off the first thing you did, which is the fundamentals and always base everything on that same thing. So we're using the same cookie cutter. Same kind of exactly. So 
that's how you create cohesion is base it all on one idea. Most people don't know what that one idea is. You ask them what their why is, they say my family. Sorry, your family's not a why, it's a who. There's a lot of who's in our world as well. It's not just my immediate family. There's also my team, my customers, my market, maybe my community, et cetera. So there's a reasoning behind us wanting to help them and how we want to help them and what's the really driving, driving, what do we want to help with, et cetera. There's a lot of these, there's people who, there's organizations that save babies and save, there's other ones that save trees. Does that mean the tree people hate babies and baby people hate trees? No, it means that we all have our place in the world. And if you don't understand what your place is, what you're uniquely fit to do, you're just going to try to keep doing somebody else's job or nothing really of value at all. So once we get on, here's what we stand for. Here's what we're about. Here's who we are. Now I can get more people on. They're excited about doing that same thing. And I can get with customers that identify with that thing. And they'll tell other people that identify with that. Cause guess what? They're all, they're with their people. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. And that's essentially what, you know, what we do as well. And you don't have to tell people what those things are. You want to show them, don't tell them, show them. Nobody does stuff anymore. They all talk about things. All you got to do is be a person that does it. That's it. hundred percent. Listen, dude, this has been such a great conversation. And I think you put out, uh, you've put out so much information today that there's zero chance people are not going to get some value out of this conversation today. Ryan, can you tell everybody really quickly? I don't even know if I've said prolific on here today. So maybe we need to tell everybody where they can find you. Tell them about your website or wherever they can find you in whatever yeah. way they is the best yeah. way. You can go to getprolific.com, G-E-T prolific.com or prolificbranddesign.com. But there's an ebook on there that you can download. And on the last page of that ebook, it goes through some of the same questions that I go through in the two-hour brand strategy calls that we do with every client to understand what is our core fundamental parts of our brand. It's kind of like a mirror. I'm like a mirror for people. So sometimes it can be a hard to self-evaluate these things. It is good to do it with a third party. But if you go through that with your key leadership, I can't I can't imagine you you won't get to some much more clear answers, but better yet, just, just click the call to book a call with our team and get set up with us and we'll help you go through it as well. And so there's, you can set up a call or you can grab that ebook on our website against Get Prolific getprolific.com and you can find us there. Awesome, dude. Yeah. And I'll just tell you this. I went through this process. I went through the process of booking the call, just like you just told everybody to do. And I went through the whole thing to see what it was going to be like. I went through it to see how quickly y'all were going to jump on. I wanted to see what you were going to talk about. And my experience was great or you wouldn't be on here. Right. So thank you. I, re- I really appreciate that, Ryan. And tra- it's Travis, right? Yeah. I got to yeah, Travis. Yeah. My brother, Travis. Yep. And you guys are going to also be at RoofCon, right? Yeah, Travis will be there. Yep. Cool. That's awesome. We've got a lot of friends going to RoofCon and our mutual friends, Jeff, and all those guys are going to be there and Hunter. So it's really dope. I'm super excited and I'm glad that I'll get to see, I'll get to beat Travis in person. Yeah, for sure. All right, my man. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You got it, brother. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.